This episode of Into the Fae contains themes that may not be suitable for some listeners. Please see our complete list of trigger warnings in the show notes. Listener discretion is advised. Also, before we begin, this episode contains words from languages that this narrator is not wholly familiar with. Pronunciation will be attempted and failure will result. I would like to apologize in advance. No offense is intended. You approach the cave at the foot of the mountain, just outside the valley near your home. There's a rumor that a great beast lives in this cave, and to greet it is certain death. But that's just a rumor, and your friends dared you to go, so there you are. You aren't afraid, it's just dark. There's nothing in here with you. Except... Is that breathing? Since the beginning of written history, stories have existed of unusual creatures residing in the hidden spaces of our world. The fair folk, the she, the good neighbors, fairy. They exist in our minds and throughout almost every culture. Devas and sprites, pixies and dryads, they come in a variety of sizes and shapes. Humanoid creatures with magical abilities to bewitch and seduce their targets. They are both feared and beloved by many. Come with me as we travel into a world of wonder and magic, and discover what makes the Fae, what to do, or more importantly, what not to do, when you meet one, and explore the various incarnations from gnomes to kitsune. So sit back, relax, and join me as we enter into the Fae. Dragons. While not fey in the strictest of sense, they share many similarities and are often seen in the company of fey creatures. Today we are going to talk about two of them the Irish Olafisht and the Scottish Zehir. There are many types of dragons in folklore and mythology, and their appearance seems to vary depending on the region they are found in. The long, cat-like Asian dragons who fly magically through the sky as if they control the very air itself, and the traditional lizard-type dragons of European folklore with wingspans that dwarf houses and breath weapons of fire, as deadly as they are awesome. No matter how you look at them, dragons are an intricate part of many cultures. The two dragon-type creatures that we will discuss today are more similar to the European dragons, and are in fact from that region, but with slight differences. Let's start with the Olafisht. This Irish sea serpent-like monster is said to inhabit the lakes and rivers of Ireland. It is a massive creature and extremely intelligent. The name comes from the terms ol, meaning great, and fished, meaning worm, fabulous beast, monster, or reptile. There are really only three main stories I could find for this creature without doing too much of a deep dive down Google. The first one, and the most well-known, is of the creature Greenwich. When St. Patrick came to Ireland and decided to banish all of the fey creatures and pagan folk, 
or all the snakes, as many of the tales put it. The Olafeist, known as the Granich, who had been living quietly hurting no one, heard of this and decided to get a jump on things. In its flight from Ireland, its tail carved the Shaddon Valley and the River Shannon a good 224 miles long. St. Patrick ended up banishing the creature to Loch Derry, where it is said it birthed demons and devils. The second story is one that took place during the Greenwich flight from Ireland. As it was fleeing, it accidentally swallowed a drunk piper named O'Rourke. The piper was so drunk that he was unaware he had been swallowed and continued to play his tune in the belly of the beast. This greatly annoyed the creature, so much so that it spit him out before he could be digested. The final story is of Meudris, aka Sinach, the Stormy One, who inhabited Loch Rudridge, also called Dundrum Bay. He was killed by King Fermus MacLeddy, who wore magic shoes that allowed him to walk on water. The battle took place for two whole days, and by the time it was finished, the sea had turned red with blood. Fergus died of exhaustion shortly after. Our next dragon comes from Scotland. The Zahir looks much like a typical dragon, except it has no wings or fire breath. It does, however, have a long tail and a venomous sting. Its name means either serpent, lightning, or thunderbolt, and comes from the terms Zahirnim, which means venomous serpent, and Nether, meaning serpent and adder. It is also possible that the name means simply wild beast and that it is derived from the Norse for bear, but that seems a bit strange to me. It is, according to some, the largest and most deadly kind of serpent, venomous and destructive. The creature may be an elaborate version of the grass snake, Natrix natrix, which can grow up to six and a half feet long. Or it could be the European eel, which can grow up to four feet. Either way, it is said that if you kill a snake, you need to make sure its head is separated from its body, taken a great distance away, and destroyed, or the pieces will come back together and a zahir will form. There is an interesting story of an evil stepmother who was a queen. She gave her stepson, the prince, a shirt that was a Zahir in disguise. I'm not entirely sure how that worked since it's a giant snake dragon, but that's what the story says. As long as it was wrapped around his neck, he was under her enchantment. The story says that he eventually broke free of her control with the help of a wise woman. A sighting was said to take place in the 1930s on the ground near Loch Amalhui in Glen Srathfara and Skernalapich. And again in 1975, a few fishermen said they saw a creature about 9 to 10 feet long coiled in a gorge near Kilmerick. It is said that the Zahir can be seen on summer nights when lightning strikes occur. We'll end with the tale of Mount Ben Zahir and how it got its name. The mountain Ben Zahir got its name from a dragon. Long ago, she took shelter in Korilea, a great hollow in the face of the mountain, 
and almost right above Balakulish Pier. The dragon was a terror to the district. From the lip of the quarry, she overlooked the path round the foot of the mountain, and if the unsuspecting traveler tried to pass her by, she would leap down and tear him to pieces. No one dared to attack her, nor could anyone tell how she might be destroyed until Charles, the skipper, came that way. He anchored his vessel a good distance out from the side of the present pier, and between the vessel and the shore he formed a bridge of empty barrels, lashed together with ropes and bristling with iron spikes. When the bridge was finished, he kindled a large fire on board the vessel and placed pieces of flesh on the burning embers. As soon as the savor of the burning flesh reached the quarry, the dragon came down by a series of leaps to the shore, and from there she tried to make her way out of the barrels to the vessel. But the spikes entered her body and tore her up so badly that she was nearly dead before she reached the outer end of the bridge. Meantime, the vessel was moved from the bridge, until there was a wide distance between it and the last barrel. The dragon did not have enough strength left to leap to the deck of the vessel over this gap, and as she could not return the way she came, she died of her wounds where she was at the end of the bridge. The people in the neighborhood of the mountain now felt at peace. But they did not know that the old dragon left behind her whelp in Corylea. In course of time, the whelp became a full-grown dragon that had a brood of young dragons hidden away in a corn stack at the foot of the mountain. When the farmer discovered them in his stack, he at once set fire to it, hoping to destroy them all. Their shrieking was carried up the mountainside with the wind, and as soon as it reached their mother, she rushed down to their assistance. But she was long in reaching them, and in spite of all her efforts, they were burnt to death. When she saw this, she stretched herself on a flat rock near the shore, and continued to lash the rock with her tail until she killed herself. The rock is still known as the Dragon Rock, and Ben Vahir House now stands on it. Thank you for listening to Into the Fae. This concludes this week's episode, written and recorded by me, Allie. The music today was The Seely Court by the late Glenn Reisner. Please like us and subscribe on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you would like to contribute to the show, there is a donate link in the show notes, or you can support us on Patreon or Ko-fi. I am looking into some goodies for our Patreon supporters, so if you have any ideas or just want to comment on the show, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at IntoFayPodcast or drop us an email at IntoTheFayPodcasts at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time.